Welcome to episode 20 of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And we are joined today by Shelby Baldwin. Hey, guys. Hey, Shelby. Great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Is this your first official time on the podcast? A first, first official time on this one, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we'll try to be nice. (laughs) All right. Well, um... Uh, you know, the go-to usual is Ben has a great, fun, cool icebreaker question, which I know you are familiar with from our staff <laughs> Being meeting. On staff. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Ben, hit us. What is it today? Well, we just had, uh, at the time of this recording, we just came off of Thanksgiving. So I feel like there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when I could think of, you know, just really cheesy questions. So I'm, I'm just going to go with a classic here. Um, what is a... What's a like? What's a quintessential memory, like an association that you have with Thanksgiving and your childhood? So maybe it's like anything from a favorite dish to an activity, like a random activity you did as a family, or like the road trip that you hated to go see the family across state or across country. So like when you think of Thanksgiving childhood, what's a what's an association memory that you have? I have a ton because my family, I feel like I've talked about this before, had did a like giant reunion every year okay. and I had family come stay with us and we had our own like thousands of traditions that we did. Your family's big into traditions. This is actually kind of what prompted the question because <laughs> I've heard you talk about a lot of traditions for Christmas yeah, and Easter. So I mm-hmm. was actually asking this question because I'm like, what does Emily's family do? <laughs> so you have a lot. Yeah. Well, we had my grandma was one of like 13. Wow. And so her family would do a reunion. So it was like hundreds of people at this church or firehouse or wherever we would end up being. And um, church or firehouse. Yes. Those are two very different types of buildings. OK. It moved around. Uh-huh. Um, and there are there are lots of stuff in, in that. But I think the the most interesting tradition was our auction that we did. Oh, wow. Um, for the family fund because we had a family fund <laughs> that went towards what? Like I'm not sure. <laughs> the kid in college who was most needy or sometimes okay. or just like uh, someone had medical expenses gotcha. or whatever. Um, but all of my, my grandma, my great aunts, they were all very crafty and did quilts and make stuff. Uh-huh. And so we would like have an auction and people would bring stuff they made and they'd auction off for like, this is amazing. It was, I mean, do you still own anything that you purchased yeah. at the auction? Yeah. I, I contributed to the auction wow. a couple times. I have like a trunk that I got or a quilt. I mean, this was like high rollers. What are like price points? Well, like it depends on who made okay. what, but like Aunt Mary's quilts could be like three hundred dollars. Aunt Mary's, yeah, my great aunt Mary. And then (laughs) at some point, she like kind of went colorblind. (laughs) That's that's tough. (laughs) And they kind of um, decreased in value. Um, (laughs) But it was yeah, that's that's probably the most interesting tradition out of all of them. Yeah, I have very fond memories of. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shelby, it's impossible to beat that. So don't don't worry about trying to beat that. But like, what's a what's a Shelby Baldwin family association? I feel like my Thanksgiving was never nearly that cool, and I'm semi jealous. What families have fundraisers? I want to establish it was not cool. (laughs) 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 There were there were a lot of like uh, fence posts painted. 
painted like Santa Claus mm -hmm. and, you know, lamps with shells glued on them, that kind of stuff. Could be a cool. lot of like love, live, laugh type. <laughs> Not even that cool. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. So every Thanksgiving, all of the men on my dad's side of the family would go hunting for okay. like a whole week around Thanksgiving. And that was like their vacation time that they took every year. And it was just like a total guys thing. Yeah. So all the girls would be left for Thanksgiving, just like hanging out by ourselves. So Thanksgiving was never a huge deal to our family, but it was really nice just because we could lounge around in our jammies and yeah. like my Nana would still cook like a whole big Thanksgiving feast for us. Wow. And we would just lay around and watch Hallmark movies. That's and it was amazing. <laughs> Sounds fantastic if you're into Hallmark movies. <laughs> like a like a built-in girls' day. Yep. That's absolutely. cool. Yeah. Ben, what are your trans traditions? Um I was never manly enough to go hunting, but we did especially growing up in the East Coast. I don't know if this is well, we did this up in Wisconsin too. I don't know if this is like a a normal thing. I haven't seen it a lot, but we played a lot of football on the morning of is that like a normal thing do you, do you yeah know? we'd play football one time at the reunion my uncle broke his leg playing football so. wow okay <laughs> so my dad was a pastor at a church um growing up and so it turned into like this big church-wide thing like at its highest most intense and involved it there was like a big breakfast and then there were brackets and playoffs <laughs> and it was quote unquote flag football, but you know, inevitably there was a lot of tackling and stuff like that. So it, we, that, that was a kind of a fun memory for me is the association with playing football growing up and, um, and then we would go home and eat a really good turkey meal. So sounds yeah. pretty good to me. Yeah, it was fun. We've talked a lot already about short-term mission trips on this podcast about their strengths, weaknesses, and the expectations people have of them. If you've been listening for a while, hopefully by now, your first thought at the phrase short-term mission trip is not a youth group doing a bad job painting a school or someone with lots of photos of local children. There are opportunities for relationships and for learning, and not so much opportunities for us to feel needed or spiritual or important. It's an adjustment to move to that thinking, especially living in a Western evangelical culture. And then it takes another adjustment to think of mission trips in developed nations, in modern cities, in more comfortable places. One of Uncharted's communities is Belgrade, Serbia, which is beautiful and fun and a genuinely lovely place to visit. The Orthodox Church has a strong presence there. They don't need you to paint a school building. So what do we do there? Once again, we have to reframe our idea of what missions is and should look like, because it isn't just about a lack of access to the gospel, it's also about a lack of response. Because Belgrade is very different from Yangon, Myanmar, or a city in Central Asia. It isn't non-Christian, it's post-Christian. So today, we're hearing from Ben and Shelby about their recent visit to our partners in Belgrade, and we're asking questions like, what is the point in doing missions in a place that, from the outside, appears to be already reached? What do you do when you do a trip somewhere that doesn't need projects? And why should you get involved in a place like Belgrade, Serbia? So Shelby is our operations manager at Uncharted and also our trip coordinator, um, but this is actually... You recently went to Belgrade, um, which is the trip that I was not on. Sorry. Because I was recording the podcast <laughs> until last month. Um, 
Um, and this is the first trip you've actually been able to go on as a trip coordinator because yeah. of various uh, pandemic-related travel issues. Um, and also your first missions trip, I guess, uh, to a, you know, not to a developing country. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your experience like was there? Yeah, Belgrade was amazing. It was definitely nice um, to be traveling after COVID. Mm-hmm. We, I told Ben and Jeff and um, Olivia, who also joined in on the trip, we landed in Paris and I was like, oh, it feels so good to just not be on American <laughs> soil for once in two years. Um, but yeah, the last trip that I went on before Belgrade was to Myanmar. Um, and this was definitely the first trip that I had ever even been on in Europe. Um, and so it was it was really cool in a lot of ways. Belgrade is a beautiful city. It's pretty modern. There's a lot of like art and culture there. Um, and it was it was just it was a really cool experience. So I've got a couple follow up questions about just your general comments of the experience. But real quick for the listeners, for those maybe not as familiar with Belgrade, where it is and some of the quick context for it. So Belgrade is actually the capital city of Serbia. Serbia is in Eastern Europe and Serbia used to be a part of former Yugoslavia along with a few other countries and regions in that, in that area of Europe. Um, and for those of us who are a little bit older, we might remember um, the NATO bombing under the Clinton administration and the war in the 90s that took place over there. Uh, actually, a quite devastating war. One of the at that point, one of the worst post World War II humanitarian crises, uh, certainly in Europe, up to that point. And uh, it was as a result of that war that there was the. Uh, post breakdown of Yugoslavia, breaking out into different countries and regions where now we have uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, right next door, Kosovo to the south, Croatia and Serbia. Um, so that's just a little bit of context for the listener about where Belgrade is. Uh, and even though it is in a European or it is a European country, it it has had its fair share of warfare, of humanitarian issues, even you know within recent generations. So, um, all that being said, what what do you? It is this interesting city to visit. Um, you know that on the one hand, you're walking down, especially like the city center, you're walking down the streets of Belgrade, and it feels very European. There's parts of it I like to say are almost like that. Uh, you know, mini Eastern Paris in some of the ways that it feels. But on the other hand, it has had a lot of recent warfare and strife and humanitarian issues. And I would even say corruption at different levels. So what were things that surprised you Shelby as we're walking down the streets of Belgrade? I realized we were only there for, you know, four or five days. So not a whole lot of time to process stuff, but what were things that were different than what you expected, either in a positive way, negative way, or just neutrally, they were just surprising to you? Um, I think I didn't know a lot of background about Belgrade or Serbia or even like the warfare um, that it had had recently. And so when we got in the car and one of our church planners picked us up and we were just on the way to the hotel from our airport and he's pointing out different buildings as we're driving through the city. 
And he was like, yeah, this building um, was from the bombings in the 90s. And that caught me off guard quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Just, I guess, not realizing how recent it felt and how much it's it's very present in the forefront of people's minds. Like as you walk through the city, it's it's very evident to see. Yeah. Um, But I think I was coming from traveling mostly to developing countries. I was a little bit surprised at how modern it was Mm -hmm. and coming out of what a lot of people would see as a war-torn country. um, It was really beautiful and it was really modern and advanced. um, And to see all of the arts and the culture and the creativity there as you're walking around, I think that was surprising after being on my first drive, hearing that it had been bombed, Mm -hmm. I guess, 25, 30 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the the bombings and that war and just that whole time period very much still leaves its mark on current generations over there. It's not, you know, World War II wasn't that long ago comparatively to the rest of world history, but you don't hear about it as much. You know, the, the generations that were a part of it really are uh, all but faded away. That's not the case in, in Serbia with the wars that happened in the nineties, it very much still shapes who they are in in the way that they think yet to your point, like it still very feels very modernized, especially in Belgrade, um, and this urban environment. And so it it is a little surprising to see how much it shapes. Emily, I know it's been a couple of years since you've been there, but you did get to go, I think almost right before COVID began, uh, right at the end of, 2019. So kind of the same question to you, like how would you describe if you can search back in your memories that long ago, (laughs) um, how would you describe your experience in Belgrade? What surprised you about it? Um, yeah, whenever I went to Belgrade, it was the end of year 2019. So like really just getting it in under the wire, especially in Europe. Um, and kind of, kind of like Shelby, it was the first time I'd ever been to Europe. Um, and it was the, first, um, you know, missions experience I had in a, um, a post-Christian culture, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, yeah, I had been doing humanitarian stuff as teenager and I had gone to China, um, in high school, but then coming to, uh, a very established place that, you know, people probably would not consider unreached. Mm -hmm. Um, and then figuring out what it is, uh, that people need help doing. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was really interesting. I think my whole experience in Belgrade was just like trying to learn a whole lot, Mm -hmm. um, just about history. Again, like I is never a place or an era that I learned about, um, in, high school or college or like in any history class is just Eastern Europe is not necessarily like <laughs> not, not the highlight of n- no. history textbooks. Huh? Um, and then with, with all the more recent stuff, I was a kid, so right. it, it, I didn't know anything about that. Um, and so learning about the history, but also just learning about the culture and learning about, um, what life looks like for, for people here. Um, it is really easy to, to, be comfortable mm-hmm. there. I think, especially for Americans or Westerners, um, 
it's really beautiful and it's mm-hmm. nice and people are very welcoming and it's a fun place to be. Um, there's lots of eating and sitting around mm-hmm. and enjoying each other's company. Um, and so it is just a different kind of missions mm-hmm. experience for sure. Yeah. So you said a few lines in there that I want to come back to if I can remember, but one of them is um, you said something in, in the respects of like learning learning or trying to figure out what, what, what do we do? Like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And even that last statement where you said it's a different type of mission strip for sure. Um, I'll go back to you, Shelby, but Emily, feel free to pitch in as well. I'm curious how, how is it different? So, you know, compare it to not only just our trips to places like Myanmar and Central Asia, developing countries, but sort of the stereotypical, idea that we as Americans have had about short-term mission trips, especially the last couple of decades. How is, how is this a different trip? Like, what did you find yourself doing? Did you ever, did you ever feel like you were at a loss of like, what, what am I doing here? What, what's my contribution? So that's a little bit leading maybe, but curious your perspective on that. Yeah, it was, it was interesting how, um, Emily said that there's a lot of eating and talking (laughs) and walking around. And that was very much what we did with the majority of our time there. It's a lot slower paced, um, which was an adjustment for me when we first got there. I absolutely had the feeling of like, what am I doing here? Like, is this, is this really even like a missions trip? Because Mm -hmm. it felt so different than Mm -hmm. what I'm used to where normally you get there and you hit the ground running and you're busy for 10 days and come home exhausted. And, um, there you just, you had a lot of time to rest. Um, it's very slow paced. It's highly relational. And so a lot of the time that we spent there was having coffees and meals and taking walks with people and learning about their city and their culture and who they are. And, um, it was, it was surprisingly different. And just that you sat and you became friends with people. Mm -hmm. That's good. Anything that you would add to that, Emily, in your experience, that some of the differences between an experience in a post-Christian, urban, developed environment versus a developing type country? Yeah, I think, I think it is, it's really different, obviously. Um, and as I'm thinking through the things I want to say, I'm kind of realizing that like, it's probably important to have in a developing country, like a mindset. Cause you go in to a place like Belgrade and they, you know, they don't really need your money so much. They don't need you to come do physical labor projects. Um, and it's kind of insulting if you go in and you think you can, and then saying that makes me think like, okay, well in Myanmar, <laughs> they probably need you relationally more than they need your money too. That's right. Um, so I think, I think going on a trip to a a developed country, um, is fun and it's great and it's helpful. And I think it's helpful also in, um, you know, recataloging all of your ideas about what you're supposed to contribute to Mm -hmm. other people. Um, and just really making you reevaluate why am I here Mm -hmm. actually? What do, what did I come to give people? Yeah. So, talking about Serbia and talking about 
being a post-Christian culture. I think I said that a little bit earlier. Um, I want to talk more about that because Mm -hmm. probably one of the reasons it's easy to feel comfortable in Belgrade is it's not that different Mm -hmm. (laughs) from America today. Um, and when you, when you just look up Serbia, um, to, to see like the, the largest religion or, you know, where people are affiliated spiritually, it's like 80% say Serbian Orthodox, Mm -hmm. which is a type of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So the most obvious question I think is, so why do they need (laughs) missions people? Mm -hmm. Why do they need uh, church planters? They're already reached, they're Christian and they completely have access to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So Ben, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> director of Uncharted, um, this may be something we talked about earlier and probably talked about a little bit in our last episode with Donko, yeah. but what, what is, um, church planting yeah. in a place like Serbia? Like, yeah. And certainly Shelby and Emily, feel free to contribute to the answer as well. I'll try to keep this succinct because there's, there's sort of layers of the answer. Uh, Cause really what you're asking, I think is like, why, why are we there? Mm-hmm. If you have a country or a people group that identify as, you know, 80% um, in this case, Orthodox Eastern Orthodox, which as you said, Emily is under that very broad umbrella of what we would label as Christian. Then why would we, an organization that touts itself as we focus primarily, and I would even say exclusively on places that are, uh, that are very much considered unreached. So like I said, there's layered answers, but I would say, first of all, one layer of the answer is there's, this is why for us at Uncharted, we don't define our scope of work or our focus in, in this geographical 1040 reference. And I don't mean to disparage that, like that's, that's a very helpful tool, But for us, what we use rather than a geographical grid is is really things like not only what is gospel access like, but also what is the response to the gospel. And there's a there's a term that is definitely not a Ben Stewart original, but we talk about it. It's even buried somewhere on our website, I believe. Um, It's called the Jahari window of missions. And basically it looks at what what is the level of access but also what is the level of response and then i would also add what is the level of saturation in other words what's the level of presence of other either international mission agencies that are working in a location or even just the local church itself and so when you look at a place like central asia where we work or myanmar you could make a very easy case that access access to the gospel in those places is quite low and also access to get into those places now is incredibly low. And so when you look at Serbia, it like the access quotient is different. You know, you can jump on a, we could jump on a plane tomorrow, uh, assuming we got negative COVID tests, we could jump on a plane tomorrow and be over in Serbia, you know, the next day and, and be fine. So access is obviously different. And so it really comes down to what's the response. And that's where in talking to our, our partners on the ground over there, the national church planters that are friends and our partners in ministry who are doing these incredible works within the, 
within the city of Belgrade, when you, when you talk to them and when they paint the picture for what the faith landscape truly is, that's when you begin to understand, okay, the response to the, to the person of Jesus Christ is actually incredibly different than what the national religion identifies itself. And so when you talk to our church planters over there, our partners over there, Donko, George, they're, you know, and, and their other staff like Lockie and, and so on and so forth, they paint a very different picture of what their spiritual landscape is actually like there. And so, yes, on one hand, the country self-identifies, 80% plus of them self-identify as Eastern Orthodox, but the reality is that's that's just a national identity. To be Serb is to be Orthodox. And if you are anything other than that, if you identify, if you self-identify as anything other than Eastern Orthodox as a Serb, you are, you are considered, you know, at best a weirdo. Um, but Danko and George both say um, that when they identify not as Eastern Orthodox, but as in, to use their words as evangelicals, there that's viewed as a cult that's viewed as a sect and and they talk a lot about how even those who are somewhat active as eastern orthodox there's there's the missing of that personal relationship that personal connection with the person of Jesus Christ and that it it truly is at best just part of their national identity it's not this active relationship, this life transforming relationship with Jesus empowered, you know, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So all of that to say, um, the reason why an organization like Uncharted, where we say unreached people and overlooked places is in a place like Serbia is because we see this is a people group who, when you get beneath the surface, when you look past this national identity, you realize that the majority of these people are lacking the opportunity to hear, um, to hear about truly the hope of Jesus in a relationship with him. And, and this kind of points to one thing that I was, uh, reading about recently is the increase of this group that one term would be the unaffiliated. Another term would be the nuns and O N E S. And I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but uh, there's actually a Pew report. It came out in 2015, so it is a little bit dated. Uh, but in 2015, uh, they reported that as of 2010, the unaffiliated or the nuns were the third largest, <laughs> this is kind of ironic to say it this way, but religious group, mm -hmm. which actually they're not religious. <laughs> but when you break down groups of Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, the unaffiliated was the third largest. So people who don't really have a connection on a personal level with any sort of religion. And that by 2050, uh, that, that group is going to only continue to grow. And so I would describe Belgrade in particular as a great example of though there is like on paper, this national identity with Eastern Orthodox, in reality, they very much self-describe and live as this category of the unaffiliated, the, the nuns, the, the sort of agnostic uh, at best people group, if you will. And so our partners over there, Donko and George, are planting these churches and starting these discipleship 
you know, movements and, and things of that nature to introduce people to know this is who Jesus is. Like this is the heart of the gospel um, and to help them realize the difference between this national religion versus this very personal relationship. So that was a kind of a long convoluted answer. And I'd certainly invite Shelby and Emily to add your thoughts, but that's some of the why in terms of um, why Uncharted looks beyond just the 1040 window to these, I, I just call them sort of this post everything culture, <laughs> you know, post Christian, uh, post modern, post developing, et cetera. That for very different reasons, it's not because they're predominantly Muslim or Hindu or any other religion fill in the blank. It's, it's because they are void of that in reality. Mm-hmm. That's why we're there. So Shelby having gone to Belgrade now and having a relationship with our church planners there, um, and as somebody who is, you know, now hopefully next year <laughs> coordinating <laughs> trips, <laughs> as long as there aren't any like 12 more variants of COVID or whatever is happening. Um, so what would you say to a, a pastor or a missions pastor here who might be listening and considering a trip to Belgrade? Um, you know, what is, what is the reason that they should go and see for themselves and experience a trip there? I think with Belgrade being a highly relational place, um, I think there's, there's Americans are very used to being busy. And I think a lot of times we step into other countries with the mindset that we have something to give to them. And we have, whether it be knowledge or the money or the supplies um, or the willingness we, we have an idea that we can step into these places and, and provide something or, or do something for people. And um, the Serbs don't need that. They don't need us to come in with um, our ideas and our actions. And I think there's a high amount of value for an American to step into a place and just sit and listen um, and to learn from them and to learn from their experiences. And I think in a culture where America is rapidly nearing towards post-Christian. I think we have a lot to learn from church planters who are already tilling the soil there, um, who already know what that looks like to, um, to pastor a body of people who grew up in a culture where Jesus isn't known. Um, and so it's not, it's not going to be a trip that's going to be really busy. Um, it's not going to be a trip where you feel like you did a lot. Um, but I think it's, it's important, um, just to sit and to build relationships and to learn about their culture and learn about their history. Um, and, and to just sit at their table and to join in on what they're doing, um, and to learn from them. Yeah. I think whenever I went, there is at some point you kind of sit and think like, okay, so, why, like, why are we here for re- like, not, not in a bad way, especially after you spent like 10 minutes giving this great explanation, <laughs> of why should, you know. but kind of just like, okay, of all the places in the world right. that, you know, Serbia is really interesting and unique, but it is not the only post-Christian culture in Europe, let alone the world. Um, and then a very specific city and very specific people just kind of wonder like, okay, how, 
how do we get led to this specific place and partnership? And I think while I was there, um, just kind of thinking like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if they have like the most need or they're ranked, you know, uh, most unreached out of all these specific criteria we're looking for. Um, but you just go and you meet people who are working really hard to mm-hmm. introduce people to Jesus and the gospel and they could use help. Mm-hmm. And it like, well, okay, well I, I can just help them and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just go do this. And at the same time, um, they have a lot to teach me. That's mm-hmm. whenever we were there, we were working with, um, George a at their church and they put on like a arts and media kind of, I don't know what to call it a day where they had different people come and talk and share. And, um, there's stuff that some, some of their church members or people in their community shared their work. Um, there's a photographer and a videographer. And I still think about that stuff that I saw and I'm like, there's a lot I learned from them. Um, and it's really cool, uh, just to, have a connection. I know sometimes I think I tend to overthink things. So I'm going like, okay, is this going to be like the place where Mm -hmm. we go? And these are the people and it's the best choice or the best opportunity we have. And it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. (laughs) if it's the best or the most or whatever they're here and they're great. And I'm here and I can, I want to do something. So, um, let's just like build a relationship together. And that's really the basis of what missions is there. I don't know that that makes sense, but (laughs) Um, it does. And it's nice because when you talk about building relationships there, it's building relationships with the intentions of just being friends with people. And it's, it's not building relationships with the intentions of, Oh, I want you to come to church with me Mm. or, Oh, I want to tell you about, Jesus and what I believe. It's very much just getting to know people and truly meeting them where they are, but just genuinely caring about them and wanting to be friends with them. It's, it's a, it's a very pure form of, of a friendship built. I think one thing that is important for us as an organization is, is to remember it's such a good a, a powerful experience that reinforces the idea that we we truly do go as as learners, not as helpers, and that's that's the primary posture that we're meant to go on these trips. And and even down to like I know Jeff Bunting, our global operations director, he you know we talk about with him changing the language of like, let's not call them short-term mission trips anymore. You know, let's call them learning trips or learning experiences or vision trips, because that's really more accurate. You know, when we think of, when we say short-term mission trip to X place, we automatically do think, okay, good. I get to go and help and build and construct and serve. And maybe like maybe on, you know, to some places you'll, you'll get to, or you do, but, but really regardless, we do go as, as learners. And so I think that is an important, that is an important reminder. And, um, and the other thing that I think is important about just presence, uh, and the proximity that we have with our partners is I do think about the idea of how, how in some regards isolated each one of those church planters are now not isolated from the standpoint of 
I mean, there's mil- literally millions of people around them and they have people that go to their church and, and they have staff. So I don't mean in the sense that they are literally all alone, like some of our church planters in Myanmar, but just in the sense of how overwhelming it must feel. Like I think of Donko, who's in the biggest municipality of Belgrade, about 300,000 people. And they are the only church that is talking about the hope and love of Jesus. They're the only church that's inviting people into a personal relationship with Jesus. They're the only church in a population of 300,000 people who are presenting a different way, another way. And so I just think about like, I have this vision of them just slugging it out for Jesus in this place and how at times that just must be tiring and exhausting. And that question has to come to their mind of like, is this worth it? Am mm-hmm. I, you know, what's the point? Where's the fruit? This is really hard spiritual ground. And so if nothing else, just being together, being with them is a, is this act of solidarity and reminding them like, you're not alone, you know? And, and though we may not be able to do a whole lot, like just the being there with them, reminding them like, we are your brothers and sisters and you're not alone. Yeah. I remember when, um, we were promoting or talking about the first trip to Belgrade, I was talking to some people, um, who were interested in going, but I remember one of them saying like, well, I just kind of want to wait and see what it's like so that I know, like, I'll be useful there. Like, I don't know what kind of trip this is going to be. I just want there, I just want to know there's going to be something for me to do. And I, I totally understand that, especially since it was a new community for us and we hadn't done trips and it's a big financial commitment Mm -hmm. to ask somebody to take an international trip. Um, but I think that that desire to be needed or to be used specifically, um, I don't think it's bad, but I think it's kind of, um, it's, it's always a good thing to consider (laughs) how self-important you're making yourself in an experience. Um, and yes, in Myanmar and in Belgrade, there are, there are people with needs and there are people with skills who can go help them. But the first and foremost thought shouldn't be, you know, what is, what is the role I'm going to play here? How am I going to be very useful here? Um, but just like a, a humility and a willingness to, to serve. And it's just, okay, well, what if the need is for you just to go sit and share meals with somebody? Is that, is that enough (laughs) to make you feel important? There's a, I think it's from the great divorce by C.S. Lewis where, um, somebody they're talking about heaven essentially. And somebody's big hang up with, you know, not wanting to get into heaven is, um, Oh, but am I going to be use, made useful there? Yeah. Like, am I going to have something to do in my, are my skills going to be appreciated? Yeah. And the person's like, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Like, This is not about you and putting you in the place where you'll thrive. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's really hard to leave that mindset, especially even, um, with missions, there's been like a big, um, overhaul of thinking where it was just sending whoever to do 
projects. You know, I, this is something I talked about before in the podcast. Like I was a 15 year old going to Mexico to build houses. Like, yeah, no, that's not, not the most helpful. Um, and so I think it's an improvement to start thinking of like, okay, what am I good at then? And I'll mm-hmm. go do that. Or if there's somebody who does do construction, you mm-hmm. know, they can go build houses. But I think there's an even further evolution or a deeper thought that comes to like, why do I need to be useful here? Can mm-hmm. I just go and learn and see, um, and, you know, take myself out of the equation in a way. So Shelby, as, as we draw to a close on our podcast here, um, puts you on the spot a little bit, but for the listener, what would you leave with them in terms of how is your faith impacted? Like just personally, how is your, um, like how did, how does a trip like this contribute to your spiritual formation? Right. So that's something that's important to us here as an organization is that when people do go on any trip to any one of our locations, that there is an impact on, on their personal spiritual formation, on their discipleship, on their relationship with Jesus, however you want to say that. So for you, again, I realized we were only there for four and a half days. It was, you know, different type of trip than maybe the typical, uh, short-term trip there. But yeah, I'm just curious. I, I guess I haven't even really asked you this, you know, off of the podcast, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, how, how did it or did it? And it's okay if it did not. Um, yeah, I, I think that this trip was, um, was very impactful for me in a couple of different ways. Um, I think it was, it was surprising to me to like reflect on my own heart mm-hmm. of that feeling. Um, when we got there and I was like, what am I even doing here? Like, I'm not even like being used or, or anything. Um, and it was kind of just a reflection for me, um, just to, to be able to sit and realize that that wasn't the point. Mm. Um, I think the spirit spoke to me in a lot of different ways through that trip, um, of it just feeling very refreshing, um, to be in a place where ministry, um, is totally built on friendship and relationship and that, um, they take their time and that, um, things just, just move a little bit slower. Um, but it's a whole lot more intentional. Um, and so for me, it it wasn't this big, like, oh my gosh, I, came back and I led all these camps and I met 50 people and they all gave their lives to Jesus. Like that wasn't it at all. And in a sense, you could walk away and say that you did very little. Um, but I think just being able to be in a place where I could listen to the spirit and it be calm enough to be able to hear it. Um, and being able to just hear people's stories um, and grow friendships with them and meet people that I've been talking to over zoom for a couple of years now. Um, but I think spiritually that was just the biggest impact is that, um, I was just able to sit and listen to the Lord, um, and just wrestle with some different things that, that he'd been working on in my heart. That's awesome. It's very cool. Well, I would just add to the listener that if, uh, if hearing what Shelby just said or anything else that was said during this podcast inspires you to go to Belgrade, um, 
you know, bug, bug somebody at your church and, uh, put a team together and we can help get you there. And we'll, we might even have some people living over there in the summer to, to host <laughs> you. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say to conclude. So you, I stole your you took my line. So if you're interested in seeing Belgrade for yourself and getting involved with church planners there, let us know. We're beginning to plan trips for 2022, and there's a lot of excitement about the potential for travel opening up and introducing new people and partners to our friends there. If you want to learn a little more about why we believe so strongly about connecting local churches to international communities and to the global church, you can still watch Global Day Collage on our website. Global Day is a virtual event for the Uncharted family that gives updates on our partners and shares some of our heart and vision for missions. The live viewing was a few weeks ago, but you can still watch it on demand at our website at unchartedinternational.org slash global day. 